Did you ever have a fight with your brother or sister as kids over, these are my things? The desire to protect our personal property is one of the most powerful reflexes we have. In a marriage where both husband and wife work, there can be great conflict over my check versus your check. Business partners can work great until you get in a debate over my percentage and your percentage. Did you know that the ultimate financial planner in the world reveals how you can overcome all these my things fights in Matthew 25:14-30? This is exactly what our Bible study teacher Dave Wurtson wants to help us do in this study titled The Ultimate Financial Advisor. One of the things when you're working out that uh, your workout person will tell you constantly is an expression, use it or lose it. As we've been talking about countering the spirit of Antichrist, we've been talking about countering the spirit of materialism. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 25. We were talking about this idea of using it or losing it. In Matthew chapter 25, the Lord Jesus gave us that great story that you've all learned from the time you were kids about the talents. Matthew chapter 25. This comes right after a very famous passage where the Lord Jesus talked about his imminent coming. He talked about his kingdom. Matthew 24 is called the Olivet Discourse. It's called the the great presentation of the Lord Jesus about what's going to happen in the future. I think it's important when you think about the parable of the talents to connect it with the great discourse that came before about getting ready for the kingdom of God. Because what Jesus is doing, first of all, in the parable of the ten versions, and then in the parable of the talents, is he is teaching us to live to get ready for the coming of the kingdom. And so we looked at verse 14 where Jesus said again, it, that it is the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Again, it, that is, the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. We know who's the person, who's the owner, who's the master that's going on the journey. The Lord would be. It'd be God. God or the Lord Jesus himself. We'll make it more concrete. We know concretely Jesus rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. So he went on a far journey. In one sense, Jesus' physical presence has been removed from us. And so we're waiting for him to visibly reveal himself. So Jesus is telling us a story that relates to this interim time where he, the master, has gone physically, not spiritually. Spiritually, he's in our hearts, but physically, he's gone on a far journey. And he calls his servants to him. Who would his servants be? Us, right? Those of us that have received Christ as our Savior, we're the us, right? Okay, now what does he do with these servants? He entrusts his he entrusts his property. So what it's like, it's like, you know, back in the olden days, it's like you're at the, on a big estate, like, like one of these big English estates, you might say, kind of like you saw in Princess Diana. There's the owner of the estate, and the owner's going on a long trip, and he calls all the servants of the household together, and he entrusts his estate to the servants. One of the very first things that you need to understand in attacking the spirit of materialism is that you've got to attack the idea that there are my things and there are his things. 
You see, the idea of my things becomes very powerful even when we're little kids. How many of you ever had fights with your brothers and sisters over your things and his or her things? Anybody ever had fights with your brothers and sisters over who belongs to what? I went to a boarding school in high school, and we would have maybe four roommates. And you talk about conflict in the room. Man, we even had to sometimes petition off sections of the room. This is my space. This is my my towel. This is my toothpaste. Okay? And ownership is really important. Now, we've learned that God recognizes the importance of private ownership. He told us, thou shalt not steal, so you have a right to your possession. But I want you to understand that this parable is telling us something very important. And if you're going to counteract the spirit of materialism, you have to get a hold of this. The fact is that the Lord God of heaven, Jesus Christ, when he goes away to heaven, entrusts you with his possessions. One of the things I want you to begin to think about is that when you receive Jesus into your heart, when you receive Jesus into your heart, he bought you with his precious blood. Romans 12, 1 and following says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, You see, what you need to get a hold of is that God loves you incredibly a lot. And he is bestowing his mercy upon you. That's what he did when he saved us. But he goes on and says this, because of God's incredible forgiveness towards us, his mercy towards us, his love towards us, he goes on and challenges us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service of worship. The verse goes on and says this, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, what does it say that? Because if you're going to really find reality with Christ, if you're going to really get close to him, you need to come to the place where you recognize that you really died with Christ and your life becomes a living sacrifice. You die to your own agenda. You die to your own life that you're going to live. You die to your own plans. Now, a lot of you, when I talk to you about that, man, it just scares the willies out of you. Man, that's the worst thing you can think of, turning over everything to God, because you aren't connected with the mercies of God yet. You see, the verse starts out with chapters 1 through 11, talking to us about how good God is, and how forgiving he is, and how merciful he is, and how great he is, and how tender he is towards us. And so we need to begin by understanding that the God in heaven that's asking us to give our entire life to him is someone that's worth trusting our life with. And that's something that's that's really important for us to pray about and ask the Lord to get into our life. But this idea of being a living sacrifice in the parable of the talents is expressed not just in using my hand for the Lord and my eyes for the Lord and my feet for the Lord, but it even gets into using my pocketbook for the Lord. The first idea in this parable about the talents that I want you to understand is that you need to decide about the ownership of your stuff. You gotta decide about the ownership of your life. You gotta decide about the ownership of your car. You gotta decide about the ownership of your, your bank account, your checkbook. You gotta decide who really owns this stuff. And if you've invited Jesus into your heart, if you have become his child, then you have become his sons and daughters, but you've also, and I have also become his servant. And so we have the question of ownership. And Jesus is saying in this parable that the servants are called to him and he entrusts his possessions. Do you realize that everything that you have in life is literally a gift from God? 
In other words, the fact that we're alive today is a gift from God. The fact that we've been able to work this past week is a gift from God. The fact that our brains are still relatively functioning is a gift from God. If you ever stop and think about it, it's not just a statement that Scripture throws out, but it's the honest-to-goodness truth. You are totally and completely possessed and owned by God. He's the one that gives you life. He's the one that will take life away. He's the one that controls everything. And so what the Scripture is really telling us is the truth. He is the master. We are the servant. And when we line up with reality and we stop acting as if we're the master and he's the servant, then we can begin to really grow. So the first thing that hits me in this parable of the talents is that I need to decide that it's his stuff, that it's his possessions, that, that, that my bank account, my wallet, the things that I go out during the course of a week, the different business transactions that I carry out, really need to be carried out with the thought, this is his stuff. Decisions need to be lined up with him as the owner. You see, this servant is like a steward in an ancient household. And a steward in an ancient household would be given the control over all of his master's possessions, but he could not use them just for what he wanted to or what she wanted to use them for because they belong to their master. So that's the very first thing I want you to see in this parable of the talents, this idea of he's the owner, we're the ones that get to be like his, his manager, his steward of all these possessions. Then notice, second of all, that he gives a different degree, a different degree of abilities. Verse 15. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents of money, and to another one talent of money, each according to his ability. The text literally reads there, each according to his power. He gave five talents to one, he gave two to another, he gave one to another. The truth of the matter is that every single one of you don't all have the same power. What we mean by that is that you don't all have the same ability. And God recognizes that. You see, some of you are five-talent people, some of you are two-talent people, some of you are one-talent people. Some of you are first violins, some of you are second violins, some of you are third violins. You know what the hardest thing to get a group of people to do? The hardest thing is to get a group of people that when they don't have the five talents, to still use their two talents. You see, all of us feel that we, that we feel that equality is that every single one of us are totally equal. We all have the same brain power. We all have the same musical talent. We all have the same athletic talent. Well, just stop and think. Is that true? Is that really objectively true? That everybody, everybody on planet Earth is exactly the same now. The truth of the matter is that we, we all need to have equal opportunity. That's what the great freedom of our nation's about. But God is telling us the truth about human existence. Some of us are five-talent people. Some of us are two-talent people. Some of us are one-talent people. And this parable goes on to expose one of the great dangers of being a one-talent person. Because what happens, the person that gets five talents, it says in the text, they go out and they work those talents. And Jesus is talking about money. Somebody received $5,000 and they went out, they made careful investments, 
Maybe they went out and they bought a vineyard. Some others went out and maybe with another part of the money, they, they set up kind of a textile industries on the streets of Jerusalem. With some of the other money, they put it with the bankers and, and they made various invest, investments in business. Maybe a big trade thing where somebody was going down to, the, to India to bring spices back or something like that. I don't know exactly what the person did with the five talents, but it's like they took $5,000 and they wisely put it to work. That's the phrase that's used. It's very important in our life, whether it's our money, whether it's our talents, whether it's our physical ability that God has given to us, whether it's our spiritual abilities, the parable is telling us that we need to, because we're God's servants, we need to put our talents to work. And I want you to ask yourself, what are you doing in working for the kingdom of God? How are you utilizing, how is your money invested for kingdom work? How are your possessions invested for kingdom work? Remember, we started out, it belonged to the Lord. And you should be able to keep a careful, a careful account of that. Every one of you know that in business that the principle is you're either moving ahead, you're either investing, you're either working your resources, or you're going backwards. There's no standing still. It's true in athletics. A team that's just trying to hold its own. It's why at the very end of the game, everybody wonders why in the world, in the two-minute drill, suddenly does the offense suddenly begin to drive when they haven't driven all day long. It's because the defense has stopped trying to push the offense back. Instead, all they're doing is trying to maintain their position and just guard their goal line. So they go into a whole defensive mode where they're not aggressive. They're not pushing forward. They're not attacking. They're just holding their own. And what happens? The offense almost every time will go down there and get close to a score they will score. That's what Jesus is teaching us. Something that we all know from athletics. You either use it or you lose it. The person with the five talents understood you got to invest. The person with two talents, they knew that too. And so they went out and worked. The text says that they worked their talents. They put them to work. The neat thing about being in the, ch- and being in the family of God is that the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us to do that. You don't have to do it in your own strength. It's not like God is off on a far journey and he's not involved in your life. That's where we can't push the parable too far. Because Jesus says that it's Christ in us that is working this powerful opportunity of, of multiplying the kingdom of God. But I want you to look at the person with one talent because that's where the real problem comes in. Look what this guy does. This one guy, it says after a long time in verse 19 that the master came back and the servants returned and settled account with them. And it talks about the man who had received the five talents brought the other, brought another five. And master said, you entrust me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, verse 21. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's joy, your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the master who had received, the, the man who had received the one talent came. Master said, now here it is, look what he says. I knew that you are a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. First of all, this man's view of the the master is what? How does he feel about the nature of the master? He feels that he's hard. 
he feels that he's really a thief. He says that he feels that his master will go into a field that he didn't plant the seed, he didn't plow up the ground, he didn't water the crops, he went into this field, and this master is so, so wicked that he'll steal the harvest from a field that doesn't even belong to him that he didn't even work. Now, that's a bad man. This servant with a one talent has a belief that the master really is an evil person, is a hard person, and he accuses him of being a thief. Now, this causes me to think, what do I think about God? What's my attitude towards God? Not just what do I say about him when, I, when somebody asks me, well, tell me about your God, but what do I really believe deep in my soul about God? It's easy for us to look at the person with the one talent and feel like, man, how could he ever feel that way about God? But I challenge you this week as you go out into the marketplace, you're going to meet people. First of all, you'll meet a lot of people that cuss God. Every time something goes wrong, they curse God. I've often talked to you about that, but it comes back in this context. What are they telling you? When they curse God, when they use God as a cuss word, what they're saying is that God is vindictive, God is mean, God doesn't have the very best for me. You need to really get a hold of us. There's a part of us deep inside that doesn't believe that God is good. We're just like this person with one talent, and we believe that God isn't very good. And so what we start to do is we feel that God has rooked us, the way it works in my own heart. You see, as I, as I move forward in the ministry, I can look at some of my friends, and I can see that one of my friends suddenly gets a really big book contract. And man, his books are all over the world. And God is powerfully using him. So you know what I do? I read his books and I read my books. And I say, man, he can't write nearly as good as I do. God, why aren't you blessing my books like that? And the next thing I say is, you know, God, I'm not sure I'm going to serve you anymore because I'm not sure that you really come through. Anybody ever feel that way? How many of you have ever felt that God rooked you or that God wasn't blessing you exactly the way you thought he should bless you? In fact, I guarantee you, there are some of you that deep in your soul right now, if you really were honest, is you feel that God has really hurt you. You feel that you had everything programmed just right. You feel that you worked very diligently for God. And then God just shut the door. Like one of the areas for five and a half years. Just to really share personally from your own heart. Because I've wrestled with these things. For five and a half years, every single week, Mary worked hour after hour. I worked hour after hour. Man, we were getting, Cindy was working with us. We were getting hundreds of calls every single month. We had people that were receiving Christ as their Savior. We had people that were calling us and running to us and telling us how much they appreciated the teaching of the Word of God. Man, everything was going great. And then suddenly we get a letter in the mail, and just like that, the heart of the radio ministry is gone. Now, I wasn't doing it for me. It was hard. It was, it was a lot of pressure. In fact, I'm, in a lot of ways, now after being out of that weekly pressure, I thank God for that, for being relieved from it. But from another standpoint, you can look at it, you can say, God, why are you doing this? We're just trying to get the message out. You know, why did you do this? This is absolutely bizarre. This is crazy. The next statement is, God, I'm not sure you're good. I'm not sure I'm going to keep doing this. In fact, I think maybe I'll just drop out of the pastoral ministry and, and just, be, just go in and make some money in the business world because you don't come through. You see, anybody ever think like that? Anybody identifying with the way I'm talking right now? And God comes to me in this paragraph, this parable, and he says, listen, 
You're accusing the master's character. You see, we have to decide whether we're going to believe that God is good. And God is generous and God is merciful. And that we can receive one talent and we can invest that talent instead of getting angry and saying, I'm just going to bury it. I'm not going to do what I'm going to do because I don't believe that God comes through for me. You see, God will not play that game with you. God will not let you set up your agenda. He will not let me set up his agenda. And he will not let us do our thing and then kind of invite him to bless our thing. It's totally his thing. And his program is going to have twists and turns in it. It's going to have challenges. It's going to have problems that you can't even guess. And one of the big challenges in your life is going to be, I don't think God is so good. I don't think God is so kind. And that's where we need to go back and decide, how do we know that God is good? So in my own life, I go back to, he who gave his one and only son, how will he not much more freely give us all things? God, my heavenly daddy, has already given me his very best. doesn't have to prove his goodness anymore to me. He's given me his very best. He reveals that he's much wiser than anything we could have ever dreamed. So he's writing a creative story in my life and in Mary's life and our family's life and in your family's life. It's much more creative than anything we could ever imagine. And what he's calling us to is just to be faithful servants every single day in the midst of all the twists and turns to maintain that positive commitment that he is good and not joining the person with the one talent that begins to get bitter on life. Because what happens, you know, as soon as you start doubting the goodness of God, as soon as you start being angry with God like that and turning away from the biblical revelation that God is generous and he's good, the next thing you do is you bury your abilities. You bury your talents. And that's what happened to this guy. He tells his master, I thought you were a cruel, hard master, so I took the one talent and I stuck it in the ground in my backyard. I took a shovel put a hole, put the talent down there, and here it is, the one talent you gave me. I was born with the one talent, and here it is. I did absolutely nothing with it. I want you to see how God responds, because this is one of the most angry responses that you'll ever get from God. Look what God does. It says in verse 26, his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. I want you to see that. There's two characteristics of a person that doesn't invest their talent for the kingdom of God. And God told it like it is. I didn't say this. God said it. When we withdraw our talents, when we bury our talents, when we stop using our abilities for the kingdom of God, number one, we're wicked. You see, a wicked person is a person that rejects the goodness of God. Now, I didn't say that. God did. And boy, that's a great rebuke to me. You see, when I start turning away from God, God says that I'm wicked. I have, I have joined the dark side. I have joined the evil empire. I have joined the real evil empire. I have joined with Satan. And I am saying that the Lord God of the heaven, the Lord God of the universe, is really a bad God. He is a bad master. And that's wickedness. And God, unlike a lot of us, God really talks straight. He says to the servant, you are wicked. Second of all, he said something very important. He said, you're lazy. Do you realize that the Lord hates laziness? Every single one of us have been given an incredible mix of abilities, an incredible mix of opportunities, an incredible mix of life potentiality. And God is saying that the person who just buries that and allows life to become very negative and down and harmful 
Someone that does that is wicked. They've joined the evil side. And second of all, they're lazy. Now, I want to share something with you. You have been built. You, every one of you have been built. You have been built that you've got to use it or you're going to lose it. You all understand that physically. In other words, all of you have gone and decided, I'm really going to get in shape. I really want to work hard to get in shape. And so you do that. And so you start walking. The truth of the matter is you begin to walk. The very first day, things really, really go well. But when you wake up, the second day goes pretty well. But the third day when you wake up, your legs hurt, your calves hurt. And, and as you start to walk, it, your legs even have pain in them. And so you begin to think in your mind, you know, I'm not sure that this walking is such a great idea because my legs hurt. And, you know, my back, my lower back has started hurting too. And also this stupid diet that I'm on, man, you know, I just don't get to enjoy any good food. So you know what we start to do? We start to turn away from that. You know why? Because we don't want to go through the pain. There's something you've got to understand about this life. Any single thing that you do that produces growth in your life is going to involve some pain. And one of the greatest problems that among God's children in America today is none of us want to have any pain. As soon as it gets t- hard, as soon as it gets tough, we're out of there. We take our Excedrin, we take our Advil, we take our Tylenol by the buckets. But the idea is that, man, this hurts too badly, so I'm not going to do it. Well, I want to just tell you a reality of life, whether it's on the physical, athletic playing field, whether it's learning biology, whether it's getting a hold of physics, whether it's, whether it's learning new computer skills. The way that life is, as you start to learn a new skill and you begin to develop it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. And if you're the kind of a person that as soon as it gets hard, I'm out of there, then you're lazy. Like when you're working, like when you're mowing the lawn. How many of you, the whole time you're mowing the lawn, say, boy, I just love mowing the lawn. This has got to be the greatest experience in the world, man. It's 105 out here, and the dust is blowing, and man, I just love this. Now, how many of you, when you've been mowing, have thought, brother, man, I can hardly wait for it to get cold and the grass will stop growing? There's pain in that. But how many of you have also, when you get all finished, it's the cool of the evening, how many of you would look at your lawn after it was really mowed well and would feel, boy, look how nice it looks? Anybody ever feel that way? You see, in order to get the gain, you've got to go through that pain. It's like that in every single thing you do, and it's like that spiritually. And the person that is this one-talent person is the person that joins the adversary and they cover their sin with their mouth, but the reality of the matter is they're just plain lazy. And I want to share with you, whether you're 5 years old or you're 85 years old, it's, there's a tremendous pull in our life to start to just sit around and just start in our own culture. One of the most powerful things is that TV is just sucking you in into becoming a couch potato. And it can destroy, it can cause you to become this one-talent person who buries, who buries all those talents. And that's serious. And man, this verse comes home and says, when I'm, when I'm tempted to begin to just want to sit, and I begin to get angry with God, feeling like God's giving me a raw deal, this parable powerfully teaches me. Because God says, I'm going to take away the one talent. You see, you use it or you lose it. God takes the one talent and give it to the one who has ten. 
You see, in our own culture, we want everything to be fair. We want everybody to get exactly the same, no matter how much they work, no matter how much they invest. And I've got news for you. That's just not the universe that God has created. The way life really works is the person with one talent that invests it and uses it and, and, and has a positive attitude towards God about it and enjoys the way God is multiplying their usefulness through that one talent. You know, that person gets two talents. But you know what? If that person with only two talents is facing somebody with five talents and the person with five talents doesn't use it, doesn't really go for it, then slowly but surely the five talents begin to ooze away. I have literally seen people in the kingdom of God that were one-talent people that made impacts far beyond the five-talent people. In fact, when I first started at seminary, there were a whole lot of us that, that had been raised in evangelicalism. There's a whole lot of us that had learned the Bible from the time we were kids. But as we started out seminary, it was all old hat. In other words, learning the books of the Bible, learning John 3.16, telling other people about Christ, you know, helping people to grow in the Lord. We've been doing that for years. But you know what? We had some students with us that just got saved maybe a year ago down at the University of Texas or down at A&M. And they've arrived now at Dallas Theological Seminary. And man, as we started into these assignments, they'd be killing themselves. Man, it was all brand new. The, you know, the, can you imagine trying to learn the 66 books of the Bible when six months before you didn't even know that what John 3.16 was? Man, it was hard for those guys. But you know what happened again and again and again? By our third year, many of those students that just got saved before they went to Dallas had gone flying right by all those Bible Institute students where it become old hat. You know why? Because it was still fresh. It was new. They were still investing. While it was easy for those that had been doing it for many years to start to coast. And you could see that principle. Use it or lose it. And so the Lord says, take the one talent from the one that buried it. Give it to the five. I want you to see the final thing that he says about the two. That He says, enter in to the joy of their Lord. He tells the one that had five, the one that had two that multiplied it. He said, come and enter into the joy of the Lord. You see, ultimately, every one of us need to realize that serving God really is going to be worth it. Sometimes you're motivated to serve God and to invest your talents. And the idea is that, the idea is, if you do it, you're going to lose everything. Like we read about Jim Elliott, who gave his life down in 56 among the Alcas. And Jim Elliott had a spear gone right through him with a young man in his 20s. And we can feel like, from a human standpoint, what a waste. You see, God really didn't come through for him. God really didn't protect him. Why didn't God just bring down a miraculous power of the Spirit and cause those big eight-foot spears to be blown another direction? Nate Saint actually got into the airplane and turned on the engines and could have taken off from that beach. But instead, he turned off the engine, got out of the plane, and died with his buddies. And I find myself saying, like, God, where are you in that? Well, Jim Elliott said this, what that's challenged students ever since he said it. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The parable that talents for money, see, ultimately, as we think about Jesus going away, the master going away, he leaves us here to oversee his estate. But he also talks about the fact that he's coming back again. And he shares that when he does come back, it's going to be party time. It's going to be celebration time. 
It's going to be entering into the joy of your Lord. You see, when you're young, you feel like, oh, that's just pie in the sky out there, and, and that's really not something I need to think about right now because I've got all this life to live. Rich Mullins is one of God's most gifted lyricists in the family of God. Rich Mullins was an incredible guitar player, great voice. He was serving the Lord, going to another concert, just like that. He's in the presence of God. But you know what? He's in to now the joy of his Lord. Do you believe that? You see, we need to encourage one another to believe that. It doesn't mean that we don't cry. It doesn't mean we don't pray for his family. But one of the things the Lord's really speaking to my own heart about is that we, as we grow older, have to renew and be even more committed to the fact that there is joy out there. That when we go home to be with him, that there's going to be a great celebration. You see, it's this marvelous movement back and forth. The parable of the talents kind of lays the foundation. And what I'd like you to do is you continue to study the New Testament, this area of money. We study about use it or lose it. You've learned about being servants, and you really need to apply to your own business. In Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45, whether you're trying to be a boss at your work or whether you're a servant at your work. What about paying your taxes? In Mark 12, 13 through 17, the Lord tells us that we need to be faithful in paying to Uncle Sam. As a self-employed person, that's one of the hardest things for me to do. You see, I have to keep track of that. And Uncle Sam takes a good percentage. It's so easy to have a critical spirit about that. It's real easy to, to, to kind of to begrudge Uncle Sam what he, what he deserves to get. And yet the scripture is very clear. We shouldn't pay more than we owe. But as heavenly citizens, Jesus' children, we need to pay what we do owe. And finally, we need, there's a marvelous parable in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15, about shrewd, gracious uh, giving. It talks about a servant who was going to lose his job because he squandered the funds. And what he does is he goes out and he cancels a bunch of debts that are owed his master and cuts them by a fourth, by a tenth, and then brings it back. And we need to learn, the point of that parable is, we need to learn that we graciously give to others so we can welcome people into heaven. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, I would ask you, Lord, that you would help us as we are able just to taste the wisdom that's in your word about the area of financial accountability and financial giftedness. I'd ask you, Lord, that each one of us would decide about the ownership of our possessions. I pray that we would realize that our abilities, our bank accounts, everything we own belongs to you. And I would ask you, Lord, that you would use the parable of the talents to warn us against the spirit of materialism that always ends up in a spirit of bitterness and a spirit of anger, a spirit of rejection against you, and it ultimately ends in a lack of investment in your kingdom. I would pray that instead that you would move us to be a joyful, very positive, very optimistic group of people because we know that joy lies ahead for us, that we're ultimately going to enter into the joy of our Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we will believe that those that diligently seek you will be rewarded in the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.